0: James chapter 2 is where we find ourselves this morning as we're going through this great letter this summer, James 2, verses 14 through 26. And please turn there, and we'll look at it, the ESV translation. This is God's holy and inspired word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple." James, he gives us four things to think about in this section of James chapter 2 and he talks about what faith is not and he talks about what faith is. There are two things that he mentions that faith is not. The first thing that faith is not is that faith is not simply wishing someone well and the second thing that faith is not is faith is not simply saying that you believe in God. But there's two things that faith is that James mentions here. Faith is alive, holding nothing back. And faith is productive, helping others in need. So again, we're going to look first at the two things that faith is not that James mentions here. The first thing that faith is not is it's not simply wishing someone well. Having a genuine faith, it produces naturally good works. A changed heart will lead to a changed behavior. And good works will flow out of good faith. A life that is simply sitting idle and doing nothing and isn't producing good fruit is not helping further the cause of Christ. And that's why James begins this section with a question in verse 14, saying, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He is saying to these Christian believers in his day, what's the point of saying you're a Christian if you're not going to live like a Christian. What's the purpose of that? That's why he's saying, what good is it? And can that faith save him? In other words, he says, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, or if anyone claims to have faith but does not have works. Notice he didn't say if someone is a person of faith. He said if someone claims to be a person of faith but yet doesn't produce good works, then what's the point of his life? Now, as I thought about this section of Scripture, I thought about how there is such thing as a nominal Christian, and the word nominal means name, by name only. There are people who claim to be Christians by name only. They associate themselves with Christianity, but yet they don't really know what it means. And I, I'm born and raised here in, in Knoxville. This is, this is home for me. And I know that we Knoxvillians and we East Tennesseans, we are known to be people of the Bible belt. And there's a lot of good things about us. And like every person, your, your greatest strength and asset can also be a, a great weakness or your greatest we, weakness or liability. And I think one of our greatest strengths as Knoxvillians is that we are kind and we are nice to people and we mean well to people. But again, our greatest strength can also be our greatest weakness. And I've heard from a lot of people who have moved here from other states saying, man, y'all are really nice, but you don't really tell us what you think. You know, you, you don't really tell us what's really on your mind because you're, you're, you're really nice. And again, nice is good, but sometimes it's good to be assertive. And what James is getting at here is that there are a lot of people who are nominal Christians who, who say that they are indeed believers, but uh, may not be. And, and that's the first point he's making here is that faith is not simply just wishing someone well. And there are people who, who mean well and who, who, who may come across as, as really nice and, and good, but they, there, there may be a lack of something there, a lack of genuine depth there. And, and that's the example he gives here in verses 15 and 16 when he said, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? What he's saying here is that, okay, if you, if you had a person that was poor and in need, you don't just need to be nice to them. You need to follow up with them. You don't need, need to just mean well. You need to continue to, to follow up and, and show them love by serving them. And as I thought once again about me being in East Tennessee and part of the, the Bible Belt, there are a lot of people... Who, who claim to be believers, but, but really may not be. And I'll give you an example. I was talking to somebody recently outside of the church, and I just said, hey, uh, they, they asked me what I do, and it's an easy way to share the gospel. I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, well, tell me, tell me about that. Pastor, tell me about your life, and then I'll go into their life, and I usually ask more questions to them as opposed to them learning from me. And I ask questions like, well, where do you go to church? because they'll say they're a believer too. Okay, where do you go? And then they'll name a church, and I know the pastor of, of the church. And, and I'll say, oh, yeah, do you know the pastor? And they said, um, I don't remember the pastor's name. I'll say, okay, um, it's so-and-so, and I'm, I'm good friends with him, great guy. How often do you go to church? Because I'm sure the pastor would want to get to know you. He's a really good guy. And they'll say, you know, last time I went was like six months ago, and I go maybe three times a year or so. And, and I'll say, okay, um, you know, your pastor and your church probably want you there. They're going to, they need you there. I mean, they need your spiritual gifts. They need you to be involved. And, and so often, oftentimes I will tell people like that, you know, get involved in church. It's, it's a great way to, to grow in your faith. But, but this is pretty common, I'm finding myself, as I'm talking to people uh, who, who live here. I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer. I go to this church. But when you press them, they, they, really, they really don't know what they believe and, and they don't know they don't know their pastor and they, they don't know a lot about their church because they're not as involved. And there was a recent study that said in Knox County, 80% of people are non-Christians or, or unchurched. Wow, this is the, 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 the place I've grown up in. That's the Bible Belt, but no longer, right? And so I bring all this up because even though we are in a Christian culture, it doesn't mean that we're surrounded with genuine true believers. And there are a lot of people who mean well but may not have that vibrant faith, that genuine faith. And as I think about this example that James gave here of a person who is in dire need of food and clothing but was neglected, I think about some of the things that that we can say to people where we mean well, but yet we really don't follow up with people. Um, I'll give you an example. I know of a a family who's outside of the church, and and they say this every time I go and visit them. They'll they'll say, hey, y'all stop by and see us. Y'all stop by and see us. It's one of those southern nice things that we say to people. Hey, come back over. I think it's really good. We mean well when we say that. But uh, a better way to say it would say instead of, Y'all come by. Y'all come back by and see us. It would be, Hey, why don't you come back in two months? And let's set a date. We'll host you. Come on. We'd love to have you. Uh, that's, a, that's probably a better way to do it instead of just meaning well. Y'all stop by and see us. Another, another thing that I have found myself doing and that is, uh, I'll text somebody if I hear that they're sick, and I'll say, hey, I hope you feel better. And I'll leave it at that. Although I mean well, it's better for me to say that and then follow up a day or two later and see how they're feeling. Or even better yet, ask them, hey, how can I help you? You know, would you, would you like a meal that, I, uh, that, I, that we could prepare for you? Notice I said we, because Stephanie does a lot of that, and I made sure to say that. She wants me to remind, no, just kidding. But no, we can, we can prepare for you. That's just a way that, that we can follow up as opposed to just mean well. Um, there was a, an example, and I kid you not, where I was at the military base and it was raining and there were some security force guys that were manning the base and I, I'm their chaplain, right? I'm designated for the security force guys and, and I was just trying to mean well and I said, hey, I hope, you, I hope you're able to stay dry today. <laughs> and they looked at me like, really? I'm getting poured on, chaplain, and you're saying I hope you stay dry? Really? You know, I was just trying to be nice, but I was meaning well, but yet, you know, that didn't really help the situation. Uh, I want you to think, too, about uh, someone like a, a single mom who, who is just running ragged. Imagine yourself saying to her, take it easy. Don't do too much. We're thinking of you. you know, that doesn't help, right? What good is that? Uh, they, they need people to help them, right? Instead of saying, hey, don't, don't think on too much. You know they're already taking on a lot. A lot go to them and say, how can we help you? I can't imagine the the stuff you're going through right now. How can we help you? Uh, Think about someone who uh, is in need of food. And you go up to them and you say, hey, you look skinny. You should eat more. You know, that, that just doesn't help. Like, we might mean well, but it doesn't really help. And James is saying here, faith is not wishing someone well and leaving it at that. He's saying, that he, he's calling this an inactive faith, a faith that is dead. And I like how he sums this up in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This alludes to a corpse or a dead plant, which may appear from a distance to be alive, but there's really no root and no, and no fruit uh, in it because it's dead And James wraps up this section in verse 26 by saying, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You know, a body and a spirit have to unite together for life to be there, right? James is saying if a, a body and spirit are separated, it's just like faith and works are separated. There's no life in you if you're not being productive and living an active life for Christ. John in 1 John chapter 3, he says it this way, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I like that. He's saying, don't just talk a big game, but but, but love in deed and in truth. And I like how how Jesus is referred to in the Gospels as a prophet who is mighty both in word and in deed. He spoke the truth and he spoke the truth in love. Wisdom is proved right by its actions. James mentions later on in this letter and it's so important that we need to be reminded that faith is taking action. That, uh, that talk is cheap and wishing someone well is not what faith is. We've got to follow up with people that we that we uh, wish well too. Uh, so the second thing that, that James mentions here is not only that faith is not mention, just wishing someone well, but it's also not saying that you believe in God. Verse eighteen: Someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." What James is saying here: It's not either or, faith or works; it's both and, faith and works. And that's what that that's what the point that James is. Getting at And as I thought about this, I thought about Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower. And I love this parable because it mentions how there are really four types of people. And the first three types that uh, Jesus mentioned in Matthew 13 are, are the, the types of people that have no foundation to them. Where the seed is sown and the word is given, but they just hear the word, but they don't live out the word. They don't do the word. And the worries of the world may choke them or, or uh, the stresses of life might get the best of them. And and they or the persecution might happen and they cave in, and, and they really have no foundation. But yet the fourth person that Jesus alludes to in the parable of the sower, uh, it, it's it's the it's the soil of it's good soil where the seed was sown on, and as a result the, uh, the, the it was able to be produced. And I, I think of Matthew thirteen twenty three that uh, Jesus said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeeds bear fruit, bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. But Jesus is saying here, the one who is a genuine true believer is the one uh, where the, the seed is sown on good soil. You hear the word, and you take it to heart, and you live it out, and you produce good in this world. Uh, that's what Jesus was referring to. And I think about Matthew 7, how Jesus refers to false prophets as one's who do not bear good fruit. You will recognize them by their lives, by their fruit. And there are a lot of false prophets out there and in order to understand a true prophet from a false prophet, just watch how they conduct themselves with other people, how they live their lives uh, over time. And you will find out over time that a false prophet is someone who is mean to their spouse, who mistreats their children, who mistreats their people. You see it over time and, and unfortunately I've seen it Uh, throughout my ministry, and I'm sure many of you have seen it too. And Jesus is saying not only can we distinguish a true prophet from a false prophet in the way they live their lives, but we can also determine a true Christian from a non-Christian in how they conduct themselves and how they live their lives. And that's why James said, you show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And so faith is not simply saying you're a believer, it's really living it out and, and even the demons, they believe in God, but yet they shudder. Uh, James 2.19, he said, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You know, it's interesting because James is saying, even demons, they know there's a God, they believe that there's a God, but yet they live in fear. The word shudder means that of trembling with fear. It's, it's, the, it's the same Greek that alludes to the, 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 the big sound of an ocean that an ocean makes, and I know many of you, you go to the beach in the summer, and some of you are, have already gone. And when you go to the beach, you just hear the, the rushing of the ocean and that sound, and if you, if you stay on the beach, you can hear it as you go to sleep or as you wake up, the crashing of the waves to the shoreline. Uh, this, is, this is the idea that James is getting at, that, that demons believe there's a God, but it's this crashing sound to them, and they, they tremble with fear when they think about who God is because they know their final outcome will be hell. They'll be cast in hell forever. And as I think about this analogy of the demons believing in God, but yet even though they believe there's no fruit there because they're evil, I think about Matthew 8. When Jesus came across a man who was demon-possessed, and what did those demons say to Jesus? They said, they cried out to him, What have you to do with this, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. You know, this example reminds us of the gravity of spiritual warfare and that demons know there's a God, and they're afraid of him because they know their final outcome. And the demons spoke to Jesus because they came across God Almighty, and they said, please don't send us into eternal hell forever. Please send us over to these pigs because we know what you're capable of doing. James was saying here is that demons, they believe in God, they know who he is, but they live in fear. They tremble at him. So my question to you is, do you fear God? Do you know that he's an almighty, holy God? Do you know what he's capable of? And if you're not living with that kind of fear of knowing that there is discipline, he disciplines those of us he loves, but yet we're living in our sin, then, you know, that's a problem. And so James is saying that faith is not just claiming you're a believer, it's living it out. And I like how he said in verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So again, James is is saying to be a genuine believer, you don't just believe in the truth, but you really love Jesus and you seek to follow him. And there's so many people that say they know Jesus or they know about him, but they don't really know him. They don't have an intimate, personal relationship with him. So my question to you today is do you love Jesus? And if you love him, then you are a believer, so let's live like a believer. We are to love because he first loved us. That's what faith is. And so James, he shifts his attention now talking about what faith is after talking about what faith was not. And he says faith is active and faith holds nothing back. And I love that the two people he refers to of the Old Testament, he refers to Abraham and he refers to Rahab. Two opposite kind of people. But Abraham was a person who had active faith, who held nothing back. And, And if you go back to Genesis 22, you will see what... But Abraham was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to even give up his son to show God that God was number one in his life. To, to prove to God that he was loyal and, and he was faithful to God because he was putting his son above the Lord. He loved his son, he cherished his son and, and, and he was almost as if he was putting that promise that God made to him above the love of God. And so God challenged and tested Abraham saying, okay, where's your true allegiance lie? Will you sacrifice your son for me? And do you really believe in my promises that, that out of you will come a, a great inheritance, a great nation? And what did Abraham do in Genesis 22? He immediately got his son and he took him up to the mountain and he was going to sacrifice his son. But yet God knew where Abraham stood and, he, and, he, and, and Abraham proved his faith by his actions and God spared the, spared the life of his son Isaac. And then God once again blessed Abraham. We see in Genesis 22, Again, faith is active, it's holding nothing back. And that's what James was referring to in verses 21 through 23, that uh, after Abraham believed and it was counted as, as righteousness to him, then he lived out his faith by responding in obedience to God. You know, one author, he said that it cost us nothing to become a Christian, but everything to live fully as one. It cost us nothing to become a Christian. it cost everything, It put everything on Christ. It cost everything to Christ. His life cost us nothing, but it cost us everything to live fully as a believer. It cost everything for us to live fully as a believer. Abraham held nothing back, he was even willing to sacrifice his own son to the Lord. My question to you is what do you need to sacrifice? What is holding you back from having your faith become alive? What is keeping you from really loving Jesus? and serving him with everything you have. And whatever it is that, that thing that's holding you back, let it go and let today be the day where you set it aside and throw off the sin that easily entangles you and run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you in Jesus Christ. I wanna just briefly mention verse 24. It is one of the most controversial verses in all the Bible and it's made a lot of people debate over the years and scratch their heads. James said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If you just read this verse out of context, you will think that James is contradicting Paul. And James is saying, you would think, James is saying, James is saying that faith and works get you to heaven. It makes you become a believer. That's false. That's heresy. James is not actually referring to that. Uh, Paul in Romans 3, he said, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law James, or Paul was saying, in, in order to be a, become a Christian, it's only by the grace of God. And it's by faith that you believe that Jesus loved you and died for you. But yet, if you read James chapter two, verse 24, it seems like James is saying, yeah, you have to have faith and you gotta be good in order to become a Christian. But that's what, not, that's what James is not saying here. You know, he's thinking about something completely different than what Paul was thinking about. James was not dealing with the means of salvation like Paul was he was dealing with the outcome of our salvation. In Romans chapter three, Paul was focusing on the time before conversion. In James chapter two, James was focusing on the time after conversion. And what's important here is when you study the word justification or justified, and there's two different meanings behind the word justified. The first meaning whenever you hear the word justification or justified, it means acquittal. It means that you are declared righteous and so when Paul refers to this term in Romans 3, he's talking about our salvation. He's talking about what makes us righteous, and it's not our works. It's, by, it's the grace of God that makes us righteous. That's the only way we can get to heaven is through Christ. It's not by, by our works or any good thing we can do. But the second meaning uh, behind uh, justification, it, it refers to vindication. It refers to proof of righteousness, And that's what James was getting out is once you're a believer, then you prove that you're a believer by living holy, by by doing good things. That's why he said in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's what he's referring to when he uses the term justification. He's talking about after you're a believer, not before you're a believer, like Paul was referring to. John Calvin, he said it this way beautifully. He said, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Faith alone justifies us. That's how we become believers. We believe that Jesus uh, gave us his grace and and gave us his life so that we could be forgiven and set free. Now that we believe that, let's go and live, live for Jesus. Let's prove our faith by our actions is what James was really getting at. You know, Martin Luther, he read this verse completely out of context, and he called James an epistle of straw because he he just despised what the Roman Catholic Church was doing in his day. They were teaching faith and works will get you to heaven. And so Martin Luther said, no, no, no. And then when he read this verse out of context in James 2, he said, oh, no, we can't include James in the Bible. This is one of the areas where I humbly disagree with Martin Luther. Because I believe Martin Luther completely read this out of context. It is not an epistle of straw. It is the word of God. And we need to understand that this is what James was meaning. It, he was meaning that we are justified after conversion. Our works justify our faith after conversion is what James was getting at. So I hope, I hope that cleared things up for you. So the, the last thing I want to say here is about faith. Uh, it's not just giving everything up for God. Uh, but it's also productive in helping others in need. And in verse 25, James gives yet another person uh, as an example, and that is Rahab. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. You know, it's interesting how James used Abraham and then Rahab, two polar opposite people. You know, Abraham was a patriarch of the faith, a major character and player of the faith. Rahab was a minor character of the faith. Abraham was a Jewish male. Rahab was a Gentile woman. Again, Abraham was this patriarch of the faith, and Rahab was a prostitute. Yet God uses sinners like you and me, and like Rahab, and like Abraham. And we know in Joshua chapter 2 that Rahab displayed a tremendous amount of faith When she heard about the God of Israel, she believed in the God of Israel. And What did she do? But she, she brought the spies into her home to protect them from being killed by the enemy in Jericho. And then because she hid them and she protected them and sent them back on their way so they could give the report to God's people about what they were to do to conquer Jericho, she also said, please remember me and we know that when god's people went into jericho they tore the walls down they destroyed the city but they remembered rahab and they kept her safe it was because of her faith and what did rahab do she took people in she helped those in need and as believers in christ we aren't just to talk a big game we aren't just to we are just to say something and not do something we are to practice what we preach we are to speak the truth in love. We are to follow up with people. We are to love and serve them. You know, there was an example of a European queen centuries ago, and she was a non-believer, and she had a, her coachman, because there they had, they had horse and buggy. And she had her coachman just wait outside while she went to a theater production. And in the theater production, it was freezing that night, by the way, but she goes inside, leaves her coachman outside, and she's sobbing in tears at this fictional play that was happening. She was just moved with emotion. And she goes outside and she finds her coachman dead. He froze to death. And she left him outside. She didn't cry one wink or one, one tear. Didn't cry one tear. And and the people that observed her said, We saw you crying in there, but you're not crying for the person that was serving you you know, that really showed her lack of faith, right? Her lack of empathy. James is telling us the opposite. We are not only to be people of empathy and of compassion, but we are to live that out, follow up with people, care for them, be moved with compassion as we seek to serve those, especially those who are in need. And so again, that's what faith is. Uh, faith uh, is, is, is like Rahab, where it's productive and it helps others in need, but it's also active and it holds nothing back. And so why are we to have this kind of faith? Why are we to to have this kind of faith that James refers to? It's because we believe in Jesus Christ. We love others because he first loved us.